It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. So we're going to be looking at an understanding of karma, breaking free of the cycle of rebirth. For the most part, that's why people practice yoga, meditation, spirituality, Buddhism, you name it. The whole purpose of it is to experience freedom. Freedom within this life, uh, more importantly, eternal freedom. Freedom beyond this particular life experience. And as I've reflected upon life and karma and our little blips in time that we have for our personalities and um, our life experiences, what I recognized is that life is eternal. Although bodies, our bodies, our personalities may die, may change, but that which animates life uh, is eternal. I remember when I was looking at some Christmas tree lights one time. It was during a period when I was going through uh, a lot of grief because of the loss. And I was extremely upset and sad. And I, I looked up at these Christmas tree lights and I saw that most of the lights were on, were lit up. But there were a few of them that had burned out, that were no longer there anymore. And for some reason in that moment, in that experience, I recognized that there is a current of electricity, there is a current of, of, of power going through this chain of lights. And while some of them, some of the physical manifestations of the light had burnt out, well, the electricity, the power, which was the source of that light, was still flowing through the chain of lights. And I started to recognize that um, this life is like that electricity. And what's most important is that we pay attention to the electricity, to our spirit, rather than uh, sinking too much of our awareness into the externals, because all lights go out eventually. But the source of the light, the power of that light, doesn't. Now we need to consider what is karma. And we're going to get a little technical here throughout. Um, I typically don't like to get technical because it's just more stuff for the mind to think about. But for our purposes today, uh, it'll be okay for a little bit. So the question is, what is karma? Well, as we see here, karma is a Sanskrit term and it's derived from the verb root kri, meaning to act, do, or make. It embodies the principle of causation, of cause and effect. The actions that we perform, the thoughts that we habitually think, our mental and emotional states and our general state of consciousness all determine the experience of our life. And as you see here, the verb root is Kri. And we are studying Kriya Yoga. So Kriya also relates to this idea of karma. And Kriya Yoga are actions which lead us to yoga or union or uh, a more holistic perspective and experience of life. And in this statement here, <clears throat> this actually comes from Richard Fish. Uh, a lot of this that we're going to be seeing uh, comes from the book The Art and Science of Vedic Astrology. There's a section in there that Richard Fish wrote that deals with karma. So uh, these are his words. The actions that we perform, the thoughts that we habitually think, our mental and emotional states, and our general state of consciousness all determine our life experience. So when you want to know what your karma is, you don't have to go to an astrologer. I mean, you might if you're profoundly dense and dull and just can't pay attention to your life. But all you need to do to uh, know what your karma is, is to observe what are the thoughts that habitually go through your mind? What are your mental and emotional states like? What is the general state of your consciousness? That is your karma. 
That is your karma related to your specific um, life experience as uh, Amanda or Betsy or Bobby or Bradley. Just pay attention to that. That's your karma. Habitual thoughts and actions have an accumulative influence on our mental and emotional outlook as well as upon our physical condition. Such repetitive thoughts and actions imprint themselves on our mind and memory, creating what are called samskaras. These samskaras, the karmic result of repetitive thoughts and actions, mold and condition the expression of our character and personality, as well as our physical body. Now, I remember when I was first getting uh, interested in meditation and Kriya Yoga specifically, it was towards the end of my college career. And uh, while I did very well in college, I had a mind for the stuff that I was studying. What was I spending most of my time doing? Well, of course, I was studying things like philosophy, psychology. I was very much into occult sciences. Uh, understanding ways of being. I was thinking about all of that, but I spent most of my time playing video games, smoking cigarettes, drinking beer, playing music, occasionally going for a hike. And so uh, my mind and my consciousness and my body was not very well set up. And I was weak uh, mentally. I was weak physically. I remember my... Um, my brother-in-law, Michael, he wanted to go do a backpacking adventure for spring break. And he was a very fit guy. And he is a very fit guy. And I certainly was not. And he thought it would be great. We'll just go down to the Tennessee wall and we'll do this. And I remember going with him and he put this backpack on me, which is more weight than I'd probably ever carried in my entire life. And the first step out of the car, he says, we're going over there. And it was essentially following a mountain path uh, straight up for longer than I'd ever hiked. So after about 40 feet, I collapsed. <laughs> and he came over and he grabbed my pack with one hand and picked it up and essentially carried me up the mountain. And it was at that time I started to recognize, wow, something needs to change here. And I recognized that I had an image of myself as a weak, um, not very... Well developed person. And so what did I do? Well, in order to start to change, I, I knew I had to create a new image of myself. So being interested in occult things, I created this little ritual and I drew a picture of how I saw myself in my mind's eye. And when I thought about it, what I saw myself was as uh, thin and the, my arms and legs were all wobbly and weak. Um, gray, just not a very, not an individual full of a lot of life or strength. And so I looked at that and I decided I'm going to imagine that this is a, is, is a, a separate aspect of myself and entity. I'm just going to banish it. And I'm going to invite back a strong version of myself. And I did that. And from that point forward, I began to do my best to affirm that I was strong, that uh, I could quit smoking that uh, I, I didn't have to do these things which ate up a lot of my time and didn't really do much for my life. And it was hard in the beginning, but the changes eventually began to occur because since I was changing my image of myself, when those opportunities ar arose to do these things which were not good for me, I now had the choice to say, no, I'm not doing that this time. I, I was making it more conscious that I was choosing. And as the years went by, and it took years, this was not something that happened overnight, I began doing Qigong. I began hiking longer. After about a year of that, I began doing yoga. After about a year of that, I began doing kettlebell routines. After a year of that, it, it just kept going, but I did it slowly. I didn't just jump into this stuff very quickly. And in time, there was a greater sense of strength, a greater sense of capability, and that spread through the rest of my life. So I began in that way, even before I, I was specifically practicing yoga, to change these samskaras. And this is how you do it, slowly over time. Now, what is reincarnation? Uh, reincarnation is something that is tied to the idea of uh, karma. 
Because why do we have to reincarnate? Well, we have to reincarnate to experience all the stuff that's in our storehouse of desires. And you can't usually do that in one lifetime. So this is why we come back the next time and we come back the next time until eventually all those things are exhausted, hopefully, assuming we're living a yogic lifestyle. By living yogically, by meditating, we exhaust these things. So we, we, we lose our attachment to them. Uh, most people, what they do is they perpetuate their karma, meaning they're attached to circumstances, ideas of prestige, power, money, fame, um, relationships. And since they're attached to it and they don't want to let them go, well then, next time they're going to come back again and they're going to continue this pattern. It just keeps repeating itself. And so this relates to the idea of reincarnation. And so reincarnation is the doctrine, oops, there we are, uh, reincarnation or the doctrine of return teaches that we repeatedly are reborn into a physical body after a period of rest in the astral realm. And, oh, more people are trying to get in. Uh, as long as we have attachments and desires that can only be fulfilled in the physical world, we will be drawn back again and again into physical incarnation. The causes or karmas generated by our thoughts and actions in one life are unlikely to be able to manifest the results and consequences in that one lifetime. Now, if you look at this picture here, um, I, I've seen this picture for years. and There's another picture that we're going to use too, which uh, I've really found interesting. And you can see, how does it work? Well, you go through the life cycle of being born of growing old, of dying, and death is that, that change. It's the gateway. You see, the old man is, is folded over and he's going into this part of the, the, the infinity symbol and then coming out the other side. What do you see on the other side? Well, you see a, a beautiful woman in white and the child comes forth. That's when life is new and fresh. And it just continues in this way. It continues happening. And we can see the same thing with the animals down here, the evolution of animals. Consciousness keeps evolving based on our desires. And so reincarnation keeps occurring because we keep either wanting more, we want to experience something different, um, and we never break that cycle of craving. You don't have to be addicted to drugs or love or sex or money in order to have an addiction. You can have an addiction to life experience itself. And that is why you're in this human form. That is why you've incarnated in this particular time, in this particular culture, in this particular situation. Because this time, this culture, this situation, this family, your friends, all hold the possibility for you to experience those desires or accretion of desires from the past. You may say, well, I didn't want to experience this. I didn't want to experience that. Well, on some level, you did. And it's not always for the levels you think. You know, many people make the idea of karma uh, very black and white as though, uh, oh, uh, this person suffered and died because they did something bad in a past lifetime. Well, we cannot know the full scope of karma while we are a little personality. We can know the full scope of karma once we practice yoga and we go into higher states of consciousness. You know, as Laurel said um, in her talk yesterday on the Yamas Niyamas, I believe that in the Yoga Sutras it states that th through non-attachment, one understands the cycle of birth and death. Because if you're not attached to all the stuff that's going on, you can rise above it and look down and see uh, all this, all the uh, ideas, all the thoughts, all the desires that played into that. But you can't do it when you're caught up in, in attachments. Um, when someone suffers and dies, you can't just simply make a blanket statement that they had bad karma. Maybe they had wonderful karma. Maybe it was that experience of suffering and death which drew, drove them into uh, an intensified experience of recognizing what is real. And maybe that experience of death and suffering that they went through, maybe for the people around them, maybe the people around them said, well, I didn't want that karma. I didn't want to watch this person go through that. But maybe that experience drove them 
into a deeper understanding of faith. Maybe many years ago, the person said, I want to know what true faith is. I want to experience depth of faith. So the universe says, great, we'll do that. And, and so we often think we want to experience a greater depth of faith. And so therefore, all these beautiful, wonderful things are going to happen. And there might be some of that. But in order to experience a profound depth of faith, sometimes the most horrendous suffering is what drives us into it. So the reason I'm, I'm bringing these kinds of things up is because we can't judge good or bad karma. That's not for us. Uh, because things that seem negative and horrible and difficult in this lifetime might have a profound effect on our spiritual realization, which is ultimately wonderful karma. So try not to be too black or white about it. Now, what can we do about karma? So much of our accumulated karma can only be exhausted through rebirth. This movement from the physical to the astral realms and back again continues over vast stretches of time until the spirit soul finally neutralizes its karmic desires and attachments and becomes satisfied in manifesting its true nature. A state of consciousness which is not dependent upon nor conditioned by the world of manifestation. That's heavy stuff right there. Let's read it again. Much of our accumulated karma can only be exhausted through rebirth. This movement from the physical to the astral realms and back again continues over vast stretches of time until the spirit soul finally neutralizes its karmic desire and attachments and becomes satisfied in manifesting its true nature. A state of consciousness which is not dependent upon nor conditioned by the world of manifestation. Many of us think of our soul as being this thing which is like our personality that persists through time, jumps from one body to another, as though, you know, Ryan, with all of his uh, joys and frustrations and, and, and ideas and, and personality quirks, as though when that dies, um, somehow it's going to go into this nebulous realm of light and then come back in in another body with all those same things, with the same personality, the same kind of uh, experience. However, it's really not how it goes. You might recall in our meditation this morning, I was encouraging you to um, abide as the witness, to pull back to that, that which you are, which is experiencing this talk right now, which is aware of the fact that you are a body watching, listening to this talk, which is the same thing that was there five years ago when you were alone, which is the same thing that was there when you were four years old and having the time of your life on your swing set, singing your heart out. That, that, is, your, that is the idea of soul. That is what we can think of as soul, not the personality. Because if your personality was your soul, well, then it would never change. And we know that hopefully you evolve and you grow and your understanding shifts and therefore your behavior and your actions shift. So how do, we, how do we exhaust our karma? Through rebirth, through just having the experiences of life. All the experiences of life. Um, you might have heard me say before, uh, whenever I experience something in life, something negative, I don't sit there and dwell upon, oh my goodness, is this going to happen again? Sometimes if it's horrendously traumatic, yes, I might. <laughs> But I, I'm aware enough to know that trauma can stick with you and you just might have to be aware of it and move through it. But at other times, things that occur that seem kind of random but are difficult and negative, well, what do I do is I, I say to myself, well, I'm glad I'm done with that karma because it had to exhaust. It had to come up and it had to express because it was deep down in there. And if I say I'm glad I'm done with that karma and I let it go, well, then it's exhausted. But if it comes up and something happens... And I say, oh my goodness, is that going to happen again? Where did that come from? And I dwell upon it. What am I doing there? I am perpetuating the cycle of that karma to happen again and again. So that's why as things occur, uh, your best approach, and meditation and yoga helps you with this, is to observe it, release it. It may be that in that point in time, you are not done with that karma. 
It might be that there's still a little bit more, but every time something occurs and you release it, that's one more uh, string cut towards a particular kind of experience until eventually it's no longer there. I mean, think about the stuff that you experienced when you were younger. Hopefully you're not experiencing that now because you've learned to outgrow it. You've learned to let it go. Now, as long as we remain embodied and engaged in these realms, awareness of our true identity continues to be limited and incomplete. To remedy this situation, various spiritual paths and practices have been expounded. When we adopt the spiritual path most suited to our temperament and understanding, we begin to free ourselves from the conditioning and attracting powers of nature. We also learn how to neutralize our karma. Now, the best text that I have found, my copy might be at home on my bedside, um, is a description that Swami Sri Yukteswar gives in The Holy Science, where he describes how um, there is an evolution of consciousness from the, the highest, clearest spiritual realms, and eventually it becomes involved in nature, and it becomes a rock, and then plant life, and then animal life, and then human life. But it goes on from there to what he describes as like angelic life, and then the completely free, which is returning back to source. And so when we look at that, again, this is something that we explore in the Holy Science, the book, but also in the class, which I will be offering again here, um, either in a few months or at the beginning of next year. Um, the recognition of that is the human state is not the end. It's, it's a transitionary period to begin to attain and understand these angelic realms and then the completely free realms, the, the sannyasi. And so our purpose here is not to get all mired down in all the stuff that we think is so important. That's part of our karma that we're exhausting as we learn to redirect our awareness inward to find out what is true, that which transcends this. So this statement here is simply pointing out that this realm of awareness that we are as a human being, it is attractive, it is dense, oftentimes it is all we know. But since we're engaged in things like spiritual practice and yoga, we, we have a, an intuition and understanding that there is more to it. And that by engaging these practices, we learn to mature spiritually, physically, mentally, and emotionally, and rise through these things. Now, in my own life, the things that I thought were so important when I was younger, uh, even 20 years ago and 10 years ago, those things have lost their attraction. And after practicing meditation and yoga for so long, eventually you start to catch glimpses of what many people can call the inner world the inner life, that eternal aspect of you. And yes, you still might be frustrated or aggravated at things that happen to the body or things that happen in, in your life, and you still may enjoy the beautiful things of life, but you know that they're not lasting because you've seen how life goes. And so you don't, it doesn't disturb you so much anymore. You, your, your consciousness doesn't sink into it as though that's the only thing. And that is why the more you practice yoga and meditation, Meditation and yoga becomes supremely enjoyable because you are becoming aware of what you truly are. And when you see yogis or you read about yogis that are, uh, can meditate for hours on end, and many times we approach that and we think that they are forcing themselves to do it. Like it is a, an extreme discipline. And for some it is. But once you start to break through to the, the later limbs of yoga, which we'll see as we go through this, this discussion here, uh, it becomes enjoyable. So they're not forcing themselves to sit for hours on end. They are internally directed and engaged, abiding as the self, which is free, feels free, has the experience of freedom. And there's nothing else they'd rather be doing. And that's a very good state to be in. And that's, in a sense, what we're working through. That's how we're working through our desires and our attachments. We're aiming to go to that state. That way, when it's time for the body to perish or the mind to change, it's okay. We can do it because we are aware of what life is rather than what the expression of life is.
So um, this is what yoga is doing for us. Now, if you've taken enough of my courses, you know that I try to be as pragmatic as possible. And I don't like to encourage people to get too sunk into an ideology or a dogma. So do you believe in rebirth? Okay, maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Either way, it really doesn't matter. Um, why is this real? Karma is a model. Reincarnation is a model. Ultimately, neither are real. Now, this can really throw a wrench in the works of the spiritual aspirants because they're thinking, well, why do I do all this stuff if none of this is real? Well, you have to function at your current level of awareness as best you can. And, you know, if you would talk to Ramana Maharshi or Yogananda or even Roy Davis, we, we had some of these uh, discussions sometimes. When giving presentations, there are people coming who, who simply need to learn to sit still, to be quiet, to practice breath awareness so that they start to harmonize their body, their mind, their nervous system, so that they have the capacity to turn within. Um, everyone's at a different point. In the book Vasista's Yoga, one of my favorite texts, um, there's, a, there's a statement that comes up over and over and over again, which essentially says everything is consciousness. That's all you need to know. It can be translated as everything is spirit. That's all you need to know. But it also goes on to say that you don't just tell people who are unable to comprehend that everything is spirit and then drop it. You can't do that because it's just going to confuse them. It's going to cause them distress because they won't know what to do with it. So what you have to do is gauge who are you talking to. And if you're talking to someone who you know has an inkling that, you know, this is a good theory, this is a good model, but I don't quite fully believe it. Well, then you can start to say, well, of course, it's not real, but this is how you're relating to the world, so you use it for now. Um, one of my favorite quotes of myself, <laughs> I was doing an interview for a paper in Asheville on astrology, and for some reason this came up about the usefulness of astrology, I said, well, when you're speaking to a dreamer, you have to speak the language of dreams. And so ultimately, I don't, I don't think astrology is, is uh, profoundly useful in the, the bigger picture scheme of things. However, for some who are still caught up in the dream, speaking the language of astrology can help them make changes to get on the right path to start clarifying their awareness. The same is true with these ideas of karma, with these ideas of reincarnation. Um, and I'll tell you why I, I share this. My experience has been this. And it's hard to describe, but I'll do my best. In the beginning, of course, I thought there was reincarnation. That I was this person in a past lifetime. That I experienced this. That I experienced that. That I must have these good samskaras, these good spiritual samskaras. And if you ask my astrologer, they would say, yes, you have these great samskaras to find yoga early on in life and to have a good um, guru, a good teacher. That's what I was told. I believed it because it made sense. Um, but in time, the more I meditated and the more you, you go inward and you identify with this eternal nature, this eternal self the more you pay attention to the outward ideas of the personality. And so I remember very early on having this experience of, of life, of consciousness, not being jumping from, from one body to the next body to the next body to the next body. My experience of it was that there was this big mass of consciousness, just this big ball of spirit. Again, it's not a ball, but this is the best way I can describe it. And that Across this ball of spirit, there were all these different times, all these different places. And as this ball of spirit, it could kind of poke its little head out into this body and have that experience of a lifetime, then withdraw, and then poke it down here in 1819 when this was happening, have this experience of it, an orphan in 1819. And that's what the, 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 the ball of spirit is experiencing. 
But since we are usually identified with a mind and a body, well, if we remember something from a past lifetime, is it really our past lifetime that we're remembering? Or is it just that us as spirit just happen to pop up into that experience, see it, and then pop back in? Again, I realize that this is kind of a ridiculous thing to try to uh, explain, but that was my experience of what was going on. <laughs> um, so when you don't have that experience, reincarnation is a wonderful model. Uh, when you're trying to figure out what's going on in your life, that A plus B equals C, um, karma is an excellent model. Don't overthink what I have said. If you need to use the idea of you are carrying stuff from a past life and you're building a better future life, by all means, do that. Just be aware that in time, the more you meditate, your understanding might shift and might change. And again, this might make more sense as we go through this, this presentation. And as the PowerPoint slide says, is this real? Karma is an excellent model. Reincarnation is an excellent model. Ultimately, neither are real. However, oops, let's go back. What did Sri Yukteswar say? It is only when the traveler has reached his goal that he is justified in discarding his maps. There are certain features of the law of karma that can be skillfully adjusted by the fingers of wisdom. Now he was talking about astrology, but this is applicable here. Our spiritual path is the map of our activities. When someone finally wakes up, has self-realization or clarity of consciousness, they don't need to keep doing the stuff <laughs> that, that they had to do before. They don't have to do their intensive pranayama because they are always aware of what spirit is. And, and uh, Ramana Maharshi would say this. He would say, if you can simply know what you are, what is true, that's it. Just stay there. That's all you need. But most people can't do that. They don't have the strength of, um, they don't have the strength to do it yet. So what do they have to do in the meantime? They have to do intensive pranayama so that they have those breakthrough moments of recognizing, oh, yes, I am infinite spirit. They have to sit in meditation and practice japa or mantra until the mind calms down, until everything calms down, and then there's just the, the obvious realization of what has been and will be true for them and everyone else. Um, the same is true for the practices of the yamas and niyamas, which are what? Harmlessness, truthfulness, non-stealing, non-attachment, contentment, purity, all these things. In the beginning, when we're getting started, we have all this past conditioning, or all this conditioning, which, is, which doesn't allow us to be harmless which makes us slightly angry or vicious in certain situations or makes us attached to certain things. And in the beginning, we have to kind of force ourselves to not be attached, to try to be harmless. However, as our path continues, that is actually the natural state of an awakened person. So they don't have to force themselves to be harmless. They innately just want to be. They are not forcing themselves to say, oh, I am not attached to this or that anymore. They just aren't. In the same way that when you were a child, you were attached to your doll or your, uh, your security blanket. And you couldn't imagine being without it. But then once you become older, you think about that security blanket and you could care less whether it's around. So you see the difference is as we practice and as we use our maps... Eventually, we transcend the need for maps because we know the territory. When I first moved to Asheville, I needed a map to know how to get around the city. And I needed a map to find all the trails I wanted to hike on. But after five, two or three, five years of being there, I didn't need the map anymore. I knew exactly how to get there. Your yoga practice is the same thing. And you have to be honest with yourself about what do you need to do until you get the hang of all the stuff that's required. So we have to remember Sri Yukteswar's statement for our yoga practice as well. It is only when the traveler has reached his goal that he is justified in discarding his maps. There are certain features of the law of karma that can be skillfully adjusted by the fingers of wisdom. The fingers of wisdom is essentially the philosophy of yoga, the guidance of your yoga teacher. I can remember... Uh, 
it must have been about six years after I began practicing Kriya Yoga and studying. And um, I was still living in West Virginia. And um, we lived on a 13-acre farm that we rented for extremely cheap. And because of that, I was able to work part-time and devote the rest of my time to study and meditation. Um, and I can remember spending a lot of time doing those things. And at one point in time, I had this idea that I, I was actually enlightened. That's the way it was. I was completely and totally awake. And uh, that was the only time, the only period of time in all these years that I actually did not meditate every day. Uh, and I remember about a month after that, going down to Center for Spiritual Awareness and visiting with, with Roy. And it was, as always, you know, if you have the book... Um, I really need to keep track of my books. If you have the book, The Essence of Complete Kriya Yoga Practice, the small book that we just released, you'll see the picture of me sitting with Mr. Davis um, in his chair, and I was on the couch. This is where we always met, in his chalet, and we would sit and talk. And I was sitting in that, that sitting on the side of the couch, and he was sitting in that chair. And I said to him, I said, you know, uh, I think I'm, I'm finally fully enlightened. And I meant it. There was no feeling it out to see if he thought that was true. It was a declaration. <laughs> and he looked at me, kind of smiled for a moment, and then he said, You know, uh, even after Lahiri Mahasaya became self-realized, he still meditated every day. And he paused for a moment, and then he just went on with his normal discussion. So he didn't reprimand me. He didn't go into long discussions about how silly that was. He just throughout a statement, which helped me to see. Uh, at the time, I still believed I was enlightened, but I realized that I was going to listen to my teacher, so of course I was going to keep meditating every day because Lahiri Mahasaya did that. But because of that, I then started to recognize that, okay, I had a wonderful period of time, a wonderful experience, and um, there was still more work to do because obviously I was still alive. Uh, so... You don't want to get, you don't want to throw away your maps too soon. That's the main point there. Now, there are three levels of karma. And again, remember, we're just continuing so that you understand this model because the model can be very helpful for you. It's very helpful for me. There are three levels of karma, and what are they? There's Sanchita karma which literally means heaped together. So it's like the accumulation of all the possible karma that you have, that you're not going to experience in this lifetime. It's just the infinite supply. There is prarabdha karma and kriya mana karma. So we can break down this theory of karma into three, um, three ways to understand it, three models. What is sanchita karma? Our Sanchita karma is the sum total of all past actions from this present life and from previous lives, which are not specifically active in this incarnation. This is because during any particular incarnation, favorable conditions will exist only for a small amount of our total Sanchita karma to manifest. Now, this last sentence is extremely important. This is because during any particular incarnation, Favorable conditions will exist only for small amounts of our total Sanchita karma to manifest. The reason this is so important is because through the practice and understanding wisdom and philosophy of yoga, we are doing our best to provide conditions for those favorable types of karma to manifest. It's like anything else. If you have a, if you have a, a past tendency to be uh, aggressive and in fights, but you never go to the bar and get drunk, well, the likelihood that you're going to get in a fight and lose your front teeth drastically diminishes. So if you know you've got that, well, what do you do? You live in such a way that you don't put yourself in that position as far as you can help it. Um, if you know that you tend to... Um, eat things you shouldn't when you go to a Chinese buffet and you're supposed to be on a particular diet, 
Well, how do you avoid that karma? You don't go to the Chinese buffet. <laughs> if you know that life improves when you contemplate friendliness, happiness, joy, and you notice that you actually start to recognize friendliness, happiness, joy in others when you do that, well, you are providing the favorable conditions for that to happen. I remember, this is a, a prime example, um, when I moved back to West Virginia, um, one of the first things I noticed is that people tend to be a little more aggressive and cranky here. Um, they're not usually the easiest people to talk to. And I was coming from Asheville, North Carolina, which was filled with every guru, every shaman, every Reiki master, every tarot reader. Uh, you get it. Um, so everyone was generally pleasant. I don't ever remember having... I don't ever remember having a negative experience with people in Asheville, North Carolina. <laughs> they might have been a little goofy at times, but most of the time they would smile, they would wave, they, were, they wanted to be helpful. Uh, but anyway, I moved back to West Virginia, and um, after I moved to Asheville and I would come back to speak at the Unity Church in Charleston, I would always make the joke, I would say, you know, I know when I'm back in West Virginia, I don't even have to look at the map, because I know that I'm driving back into West Virginia when all the bumper stickers change from... Uh, equality, dog is love, to my, my son beat up your honor student, to you know piss on Chevy and Ford. I know I'm back in West Virginia when I start to see those bumper stickers again. And that's just kind of the quality of a lot of people here. <laughs> Not all of them. There are some good ones. More and more as, as, as time goes on. Um, but uh, where I'm living, there is a house next door. And uh, the people that lived there moved out, and it was vacant for a while. And there for a moment, I thought, well, I should buy that house, because it had some acreage behind it, and I thought that would be a great place to have a little center, maybe three or four rooms where people could come and stay, and then we could do smaller retreats. But I missed my opportunity, and someone bought it. And a month before I had that idea, I wanted to have a feeling of getting along better with the people in my life, family, friends, neighbors even. And so I spent a month, about 10 minutes at the end of every meditation, imagining friendliness amongst my neighbors, imagining that I got along better with people, that, that we were more communal and supportive of each other. And it wasn't just, you know, driving down the road and you wave and no one ever waves back. You know, it was, it was a sense of uh, really feeling uh, goodness in, in the area in which I was living because I was a little frustrated with West Virginia in that regard. And sure enough, after a month of doing that, all I was doing was just imagining, just opening up for the possibility. Within a month of doing that, I became friends with, uh, he's about 80, 80, 81 years old. He lives up on the hill across from us. He has cows, and I've always seen his cows, and I always wondered if I could get some of his manure to put on our garden. His name's Gene. And so I decided I'm just going to go talk to him. And because of my practice, I was inspired to go talk to him. I found out he was one of the nicest guys. He immediately got a bucket load of manure and drove it all the way down the road with me hanging off the tractor uh, and dumped it in my compost pile. Uh, loved talking. I have to be careful because when I call him, I know that we're going to be talking for a while. Or when I walk over to the other side of the, the valley, that we're going to be talking for a while. And then sure enough, the people that moved into the house next door, I was a little concerned because, again, are they going to be playing music loud all the time? Are they going to be shooting off their guns all the time? Are they going to be unpleasant? But I, since I had that month of practice, I was open to them being nice people. And sure enough, I don't think we could have asked for better neighbors. Um, they have chickens. We have chickens. We watch each other's chickens. In the evenings, I'll be down at the garden. Uh, Bo will come over and, and chat with us. And so far, again, I like to give people a year before I make any uh, extreme assessments. But it's just been a very easy, nice experience. Why? Because in my meditation, I decided to try to see things different, to focus on friendliness. Um, maybe it's coincidence, but this has happened more often in my life than coincidence. So uh, when we think about our Sanchita Karma, we have to remember that, yes, it is the total of all, all kinds of things, but we can, through our choices, allow or set up the proper uh, possibilities for certain experiences to come forth. And this is going to be important, so stay tuned, because 
while we don't want to get addicted to positive, pleasant things, there is a reason that this is so important to do this. And also, if you look at this picture, one of the reasons I like this picture, obviously it's of Indian origin, you can see this line of electricity moving through the child, through the young adult, through the adult, into growing older, and so on. And I always like this picture because it, it speaks to that sense of, is it the body that's so important, or is it this stream of electricity, this stream of life which transcends, which moves through all of our experiences, much like the... Um, uh, the Christmas tree lights that I talked about earlier. So what is Prarabdha karma? They're the portions of Sanchita karma which are ready to be experienced in our present lifetime. They represent the current effects of past actions which appear as fate. We do not experience all our Sanchita karma at once, only that portion which has become ripe for experiencing. This basic destiny pattern is not easily altered and is therefore often considered fated. In theory, any karma can be modified or eliminated, although in practice few people are willing to understand their karmic patterns and take the necessary steps to rid themselves of their burdens. Again, this is heavy. <laughs> this is intense. But you know, me playing the role of guru or teacher today, a guru simply means anchor or heaviness. It's to anchor you, to give you something to um, anchor your consciousness on. So the Prabhda karma is that which is to be experienced in this lifetime. It's become ripe. And in theory, any karma can be modified or eliminated, although in practice few people are willing to understand their karmic patterns and take the necessary steps to rid themselves of their burdens. I don't want to go too much into this. This is just something for you to reflect upon. You, you will understand this as time passes. You will understand, you will see people who are so caught up in the way they live their lives that they think, well, you know, my parents had diabetes and heart disease and cancer, so therefore I'm going to have heart disease and diabetes and cancer. And then there will be other people that recognize, well, maybe if I don't eat all that sugar and I exercise more, I'll lessen the chances of it. That's one way to alter these things. One of my favorite statements was, um, you know, people say that uh, diabetes and heart disease runs in your family. But the truth of it is, is that no one runs in your family. Because exercise is shown to have a positive effect. Now, given there are certain aspects which may be harder to change than others, certain things from the past which you just can't change because it's way too much force compared to what you have the energy to deal with. Um, so you can't control everything, but you can do your best. <laughs> you can do your best. Now, what is Kriyamana karma? So these are our current karmas. The karmas which we are creating for ourselves in this very lifetime the effects of which we will have to face at a later point in time in this present life or in a future when it consists of the total potential effect created by our current actions. Now, this is what is so useful about the model of karma and reincarnation. The stuff had to come from somewhere, right? And it doesn't matter what has happened in the past because you can't do anything about the past. However, you can choose what you're doing right now. Are you perpetuating karma? Or are you choosing to let it go? Are you choosing a new way of being, a new way of thinking, a new way of doing things? Why? Yes, it might be very weak in the beginning. You, you might not be very good at it. But every day you add a little more momentum by choosing something different. You want to be healthier, so you tell yourself you want to be healthier. So the change that you make today is, I'm not going to eat that cupcake for breakfast. Hey, it's positive movement. A month goes by, you think, well, maybe I'll go for a walk after lunch. So you've not eaten the cupcake, you've gone for a walk after lunch, small little incremental changes. As the years go by, you keep holding that sense of, I'm going to make better choices, and you do make better choices as time goes on. But it usually doesn't happen in a flash, and we usually self-sabotage by thinking it should happen immediately. 
So we have to remember that one of the most important aspects of understanding karma is that karma came from somewhere, from past actions, thoughts, choices, behaviors. We can't do anything about those. However, we can at this moment decide to stop perpetuating those past things. And we can start in this moment, however weak it may be, to start shifting the momentum a little bit at a time. So that's why it doesn't matter what's happened to you, if you decide in this moment that you're going to change, that decision can make a snowball effect. You won't even recognize yourself in the future. And that's why so many people don't change, because they want to recognize themselves. You have to be open to letting go of your old sense of self. Another uh, favorite quote of mine is, there's nothing wrong with you that changing yourself completely couldn't fix. There's nothing wrong with you with which changing yourself completely couldn't fix. But we have to be able to practice non-attachment to get there. Now, additionally, there is agama karma. Our past actions can only be overcome and transformed once our kriyamana and agama karmas are such that they neutralize the sanchitta karma and its current materializing prabda karmas. The quantity and quality of effort required to alter previous karmas depends on the intensity of parabda karma. Now again, you got to not care what the intensity of your parabda karma is. It's like when people come to me and they say, well, if I practice Kriya Yoga, how long is it going to take for me to be self-realized? And I tend to say to them, you know what? You come back to me when you don't care how long it's going to take. Uh, when people want to accomplish something, if they start out with the idea, how long is it going to take, I don't even bother because they're not, they're not committed. If they come at it saying, I'm going to do this, I don't care how long it's going to take, you know they're going to be successful. You know they're going to be successful. So with the agama karma, um, what we are doing is in this life, we are effectively exhausting that which is happened before, and we're reconditioning the present to the future. You know, Yogananda, I don't have this quote exact, um, but he was known to have said that once you become initiated and become practicing Kriya Yoga, or once you simply begin to change your life in a positive direction, uh, he would say that um, God takes away 50% of your karma. The guru takes away 25% of your karma, and you have 25% to work out on your own. Now, why, why does that work? Why, why is that true? Sure, there could be some metaphysical, esoteric reason for it. But if you think about it, if you begin practicing Kriya Yoga and you start shifting from being aggressive and harmful and vicious to being harmless, if you start shifting to practicing contentment in all circumstances versus being engaged in your anxiety, if you start shifting to letting go of attachment to all the stuff that stresses you out because you might lose it, well, automatically, you're going to be freer. So it's just the simple act of making that shift, which so much more of the karma is going to be released from you. And you're also creating a field which is not supportive of experiencing and expressing uh, difficult negative karmas. So we got to look at this, yes, esoterically and meta uh, metaphysically, but there is a practical, uh, practical side to it. Now, what do you do when you are driving towards a cliff? What do you do when you're driving towards a cliff? <laughs> and really, take a moment to think about what do you do when you're driving towards a cliff? And this is uh, a metaphor for your life. When you see something's coming your way and it's not going to be good, do you step on the gas and drive yourself harder towards it? Do you think about changing? Well, maybe I should not drive off that cliff. Maybe I should not continue in this direction, which is going to be uh, negative for me in the long term. Do you maybe slow down a little bit? You're not fully committed. You know, you think, well, I'll just slow down and hopefully I'll, we'll see what happens. Do you hit the brakes hard? Because the moment you see something negative or difficult, you say, hey, I'm going to do my best to avoid that. Or do you just simply pray a lot? Hmm. 
let's just pray real hard and maybe it'll change. Or do you find a gemstone? Now, this is a throwback to astrology because, um, you know, in astrology, there is this idea that if you get the right gemstone or if you wear the right metals, like a metal bangle, that you will avoid all of this karma. Well, I've seen how that works and I've seen when it does work. Uh, I can think of one person who I remember contacted me and had just come into a, a lot of money and inheritance. And he said, you know, I really want to help out my Jupiter in my astrological chart. So I'm thinking of buying this yellow sapphire. Okay, I'm all right with gemstones. I like gemstones and, and they can have uh, some positive effect for certain things. And he says, and the gemstone costs $24,000. And I had to laugh because uh, Jupiter is a planet of abundance and fortune and grace. And at the time, you know, I was still living in West Virginia. Um, I think I was barely making enough above the poverty line. <laughs> and so I said, you know, if you have enough money to buy a $24,000 gemstone, I'm pretty sure you don't have a problem with Jupiter. <laughs> I said, you know, a, a, better, a better option would be take your money and donate it to people who need to eat, people who need housing. Take your money and put it towards helping people who really, truly need support. That's the best way to work with Jupiter. So the gemstone thing I, I find uh, interesting. And gemstones can be helpful, but we have to remember that they are like an energy. They are a reminder. And when you wear a gemstone that's for better health, and it's a, a beautiful green gemstone, well, every time you see that beautiful green on your, on your hand and you see it glow in the sunlight, you're reminded of your intention. And so when the waitress comes along and says, would you like our baked steak today or would you like our um, fresh chopped salad? You look at the gemstone and think, yeah, I, I want to feel good today. I don't want to have indigestion and I don't, I don't want to have difficulty meditating. So let's have that salad. So anyway, the whole point of this is you want to really be realistic about your life. And you also have to be able to recognize those those directions that you're going in are likely going to drive you off a cliff. Um, it can be a bad relationship. Maybe you don't want to change because you don't know anything else, because you're comfortable, because you're afraid to be alone, because someone threatened you. Well, if someone's threatening you, you have to find people around you to help protect you so you can make that change. If you're afraid to be alone, you have to work through that problem of being alone. Um, if you have a health issue, you know, you need to make this change, otherwise you're going to have a stroke in 20 years. You do so. Um, you get the idea. So always pay attention to you yourself. What do you do when you are driving towards a cliff? Myself, I don't like pain. It's not enjoyable. It sets me back. I can't do my work. Uh, so when I start to, my feelers start to tell me, this is going to be a bad situation, I shut it down immediately. I don't even, I don't even waste any time. If I start to feel that something's going in the wrong direction, I have, I have, I have allowed myself to go in that wrong direction thinking, well, maybe it'll work out. I've learned that when I have that sense, nope, done. And that's it. Uh, why? Because my experience in life is important. I want to be able to meditate well because I know that when I do so, I'm gaining greater insights into my true eternal nature. I want to be able to teach for you. Um, it's important to me to be able to write, to be able to speak to you. So I, I do actually make choices. Is this going to get in the way of my teaching capacity? Am I putting myself in a situation where I might not have the energy to do these things? And when I look at those, I don't do them. I can remember... Uh, when I would travel a little bit more early on, and uh, there was one time in particular where I thought I was getting a cold, and and I didn't want to get a cold because I had scheduled uh, a talk um, in Washington D.C. and there was a lot of people who had committed to taking that talk or to taking that 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 session, and I felt I was starting to get a cold, and I actually sat down and I meditated and I said to myself, I I can't get a cold, so let's knock that off right now. And I'm going to rest more and I'm going to take a hot bath. Why? And I, I was clear about why I couldn't get a cold. It wasn't just because it was going to be inconvenient for Ryan. It was because I said, I have people who want to come and learn this stuff. And I want to be in the best shape possible for them. So this is why I can't get a cold. 
And again, whether it was coincidence or whether it worked out, who can say? Uh, But the next day I felt fine and I was able to go and I was able to give the presentation and it was a wonderful time. So um, pay attention to your life and pay attention to your motivations and give yourself permission to, to stop before you drive off a cliff. Hit the brakes. Take a left turn. Do something different and see what happens. It may be you utterly fail. It may be your brakes are out. It may be that when you take that hard turn that you flip over and everything goes to shit. That might happen, but you at least got to try. And eventually, the more you try and the more difficult things might happen after you try, the more you kind of catch the nuance of how not to even get in that situation in the first place. So this is how we work with our karma. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.